This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to Late Boomers. Today we have as our special guest, Fari Gonzak, who is a relationship and transformational coach with three decades of experience helping her clients to turn their challenges into empowering gifts and unlock their full potential. And I'm Mary Elkins, using advanced techniques of fitness, yoga, and meditation to bring mind, body, and spirit into harmonic balance. Fari specializes in guiding those dealing with trauma, imposter syndrome, and self-hatred to find peace, clarity, and self-love. She's also the author of the chapter, Replace the Old Burden with the New Version of You, in the book, Unstoppable, Female Entrepreneurs Living Fearlessly. Welcome, Fari. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. Is that all me? Yeah, <laughs> it's great, it's to, all you. great to have you. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's lovely to be here with you, ladies. All right. Please tell us about your background and how your experience led you to your calling and profession. My background, I was born and raised in Iran. And uh, I left Iran at the age of the minute I turned 21. (laughs) And um, I always emphasize on that because I wanted to live before, but I had to wait on that age so I don't have to have the parents permission to have my passports issued so once I turned 21 the passport was sent and then it got issued a few months later and there I was off to England and um, a very tough upbringing um, in the home environment Um, and it was at the age of I think 16 or 17 that I said I would leave Iran because I want mm-hmm. to become who I want to become, not who my parents decided for me to be. Mm-hmm. And that's why I left Iran and I went to England. What did and they want you to be? They wanted me specifically, my father wanted me to finish high school, go to university, get a PhD, be either a lawyer or a doctor, then get married, then have kids. And for me, I always had had that rebellion personality in me that I don't want to study to become who you want me to become. I want to become my own woman. I want to, is there a world, any word for it in English to say, I want to be a man made, (laughs) but woman made, you know, Mm -hmm. and not what my desire was. I did not want to finish school, but I had to finish high school. And uh, when you got to England, then did you find the calling? the calling that you do now, the profession you do now? Um, No, not right away. I mean, um, 
exactly what I wrote about in the book uh, is that I thought my happiness is that to leave Iran. And when I go to England, um, not that I wanted to stay in England, by the way, I went to England to kind of like con my family that I'm going with my cousin to London and then I'm going to be just visiting and coming back. I knew I was going to London to go to the American embassy and apply for a visa and then come to America. And uh, that's what my plan was. But my thought if I leave Iran, I'm going to have everything is made up there and it's heaven and everything is going to be glory. And um, little did I know, uh, it was the onset of the disaster and problems in life because um, being an Iranian uh, young girl, and then the minute I left Iran, I think I left 1978 um, August, and in September, um, the the curfew and the martial law and all that started in Iran. And I said, what is that? What's going on? I never saw any of it. Because in Iran, we were raised exactly like you and I are here today. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever, I was never covered. It was not mandatory. Exactly what you do here today, we did in in Iran. We drank alcohol. There was no men and women. We wore bathing suits. And (laughs) there was no women, women, nothing, nothing, not a thing. And um, you got out just in time before the revolution just before yeah i never yeah. saw anything of it you know i actually didn't le- run away from the iranian government i ran away from so called my parents mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of my brothers basically it was like a tough tough mm-hmm. boy in the house and um mm-hmm. i wanted not to be part of it so and when you yeah. came here did mm-hmm. you um well what, being from Iran, how hard was it to come? Was it for you to come to the West, and how did you adjust? And did you find your calling then? Going to England was not a problem. We didn't have to have visa to go to England. That's why I went to England. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get visa from England to come to America, and and they soon the mess started and the revolution started and. Um, then they took the hostages, the American hostages. Uh-huh. I don't know if you guys are um, as old as I am to remember all of that, but um, and this was 40, of coming up to 45 years ago. That was 1979, I think, they took the hostages. But the yeah, revolution uh-huh. started September of 1978, and mm. I left August of 78. Yeah. Um, so the Shah of Iran left January 79 and around about then it was when the, um, they took the hostages. But the American embassy had already closed the door for anybody wanting to get a um, visa to go to England and to America. So I got stuck in England for the next 14 years. Oh, hmm. long time. Wow. That was, um, yeah, that was the, that, that's knowing that, not only I don't have a home at that time being called Iran, I have no way of going back. Not that I wanted to go back at all, but my being out, my the reason of being out in England, then it smoothened the pathway for the rest of my sisters and brothers and all of that to come out. And oh, they did. Good. Mm-hmm. And they came throughout, yeah, it's not like immediately, it took a while. 
for them mm. all to come out. But yes. Um, and slowly. then when you got to the USA, was that another big, very big adjustment? Um, it was a big adjustment to be in England, but it was catastrophic to be to come to America. The, um, I didn't have as much animosity against me in England, except one time that, it, have you heard the terms of skinheads? Do you know who they are? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, was sure. like, I was like 20, I want to say maybe 22, 23, something like this. I had zillions amount of a long to my waistline hair, like five times more than I have now. And uh, one morning it was raining and um, I was walking to work and then I felt this, I left the house thinking is the rain stopped. So I mm. didn't have the umbrella. I don't think I had, or did I have umbrella? I don't remember, but I just know that I was walking and then I felt like this, like a crick broke in my head and then I'm wet and the skinheads were upstairs and they poured a bucket of green color paint on oh. me. And they said, go home, go back to your country. And you can imagine a young 22-year-old girl, 23-year-old girl. Yeah. And I just had to walk like, like a statue because everything stuck to me. Mm. Walked to, uh, everyone was looking at me and I walked to the place where I was working and they all saw me like, what happened? It was a Greek shop that they were selling jeans and denims and they were brilliant. I was the only girl and they were all great guys, one after the other one, brilliant souls. And they all sat me down, they took my clothes off and one of them started shaving my hair, like to the scalp. They had to oh, shave. Oh, no. So oh, no. that was the one thing that I never forgot. And that's the only one really bad thing that happened in England. But in America, oh my God, it was like, who's this snake here? It was like, really really bad and um it was one after the other one and the more they told me go home um you're too dark your accent is too thick um all of that animosity that came more towards me the more i was sad i was depressed i was frustrated for it i'm not gonna lie but one of the things that really kept me going and my sanity was uh, my spirituality. I never believed in any religion, but I was always to this minute, I believe in God massively. And uh, my working out, that mm-hmm. was my, to work out for me was being in a church. So well, you have also said that past challenges are life's lessons. 100%. So how do you use past challenges and trauma to your client's benefit? And can you give us some examples for that? Absolutely. If I didn't go through all that agony that I went through life, which literally gave me the diseases called fibromyalgia, I was Mm. um, 27 or 8 in England um, that I got diagnosed with it. But I didn't care about it. I just said, okay, whatever. My body hurts. So what? Mm -hmm. You know? And I was swimming and I was jogging and I was doing whatever, tennis, 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 day in, day out, in rain, in shine, in no matter what, I was playing tennis, squash, more tennis, squash, and then, you know, swimming. Like I, the drug of choice for me, people go to alcohol, they go to heroin, this, mine was fitness. And um, 
one of the things that I just say, how grateful I am that my father was so hard on me, so tough on me. Um, and I've always, for the longest time in my life, maybe for the first 60 years of my life, I kept on blaming my dad that, oh, shame on you. Why did he beat me up so hard when I was 16 and 17 years old? And, oh my God. He slapped me like left and right one day. And, um, my father was a very powerful guy and you would, nobody, nobody would dare to say no to him. Mm. Ever. Nobody would say no to him. He was a very strong, powerful man. And um, I think that day I must have said no to him to trigger him. And he caught me at the corner of, it was a hangers that we had a wall like this and it was all walnut um, uh, wood and it had hangers on it. He caught me in between it and he started slapping me left and right. And not once, not three times, not five times. And he kept on going and I said, okay, hit me as much as you want. And I stood up there. And it hit me so hard that I said, oh my God, my neck is falling off. And then I screamed. My parents' house was humongous. My mom ran to hear what's the scream. And he, she saw my dad. And my dad was a big, big built of a strong man. And my mom pushed him against the wall. And then it goes, this is your spam. I didn't find her in the street. And, she, and he said, I brought her to this wall. I'll take her out of this wall. He, she can never say no to me. And huh. um, you think that caused your fibromyalgia? Absolutely. Uh, my upbringing mm -hmm. was not just mine, mm -hmm. all of us, sisters and brothers. It was like such a tough upbringing. But then I thought I'm running away from that and I'm going to um, England and I'm going to have a brilliant everything far from it. And it got even worse because of the circumstances with Iran, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't easy. I wasn't speaking a word of English. I didn't know many people. I was an au pair. Do you know what au pair is? Mm -hmm. I was an au pair in this um, yeah. Scottish lady with a Pakistani husband. And um, that was pretty much of a challenge to be in that house. But I had to be because I had nowhere to go. I had no money. I left Iran with 400 um, British pounds in my pocket. And my dad said, I will not give you a dime. If you go mm -hmm. and you want to ask money. So like, well, yeah. how, do, how do you use those traumas to your client's benefit? So when somebody comes like me with an abusive parents, and I've had mm -hmm. many of them throughout the years, many of them, and they want to do the same as what I did for years to put them in shame, shame on your mother, shame on your father for doing this. And I'm just saying, okay, what I did was, I needed to find out what I learned from that. I learned, number one, we always look at the negativity, but we don't look at like what positive thing my father had. Mm. My father was a hardworking mm. man. I became a very hardworking woman to this day. My mm -hmm. father was very much of people person. Mm -hmm. I love people. I can't deal without people. If we mm -hmm. go a couple of weeks, I mean, we socialize here a lot, but a couple of weeks, if I don't see people, I tell my husband, we're having a dinner party. We invite people over. I love to love. I love to give. My father was the most generous, my mom too, both the most generous people you can find on this planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And I got their generosity. Mm -hmm. I got That's good. people. My father was an athlete of his own time. 
his genes it me gave me the most fabulous life in America in LA when the competition was so high as a fitness trainer and I became a very successful fitness trainer making six figure year after year for the longest time and these are the benefits that my father had and I chose to ignore them but stick to it that my father was tough mm-hmm. how about yeah if I turn that around and I see all that many many gifts that it was from them and I Good. didn't appreciate it and that's what I do with my clients when mm-hmm. says the other one says my client My father did this. My mother did that. My mother, one of my clients said the mother slept with her husband, you know? And I said, my question was for as long as she's kept on to this subject, my mother slept with my husband. How has that served her? What has Mm -hmm. she gotten out of it? Really? Hmm. For sure. It takes two to tango. Where was the husband? Mm Mm-hmm. What is, why just sticking to what the mother said? Not that for a minute is okay what the mother did. Right. Mm-hmm. But let's look at it in a different angle. And one of the things that I learned from a very famous, beautiful, I love this woman. Thank God she's still around and she just turned 81. Her name is Byron Katie. And I always say, okay, your mother slept with your husband. Is it true? And she goes, yes, it's true. And I said, and where do you feel it in your body? Here, there, there, there. And how has that served you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else can you change this with? Mm -hmm. This burden on your shoulder. What if you put it in this big, massive bag and throw it away? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to. You can keep on and on your shoulder and suffer. Which one Mm -hmm. fits well? Well, do you get them specific uh, exercises, both physical and emotional? And can you give us a few pointers as to what you tell them to do? Um, absolutely. I, I'm married to fitness. I love fitness. If somebody likes to kick, I suggest them to go and kick and punch because I'm a black belt in Taekwondo. Hmm. If somebody wants to mellow out, we mellow out and we sit and we focused on breathing. But mm-hmm. in the midst of the breathing, sometimes I sneak in because mostly people are on Zoom. Okay, put the camera on. Let's walk. I want to see you breathing, stepping to your breath, and you're walking back and forth, side and side, you know, lounging, boot this, that. Lie down on the ground, put your feet up. Not on the wall, on your body. Just put your legs up, you know. Mm. What does that do? That's hard. They can't do it. They can't lie down and have their legs straight up. They can't do it. They Mm. can do it with one leg at a time. Now, Mary, you and I are yoga junkies. (laughs) So you can smile at that. That What do you mean you can't put your legs up? But find a person who's never done yoga, but they are into fitness. They just didn't do yoga. Get them lie down on the ground and say, can you give me 90 degree angle? Put your feet up and hold it for, put the timer on, say, hold it for three minutes. Oh, yeah. 15 minutes? Three. Three. 
One, Three. two, <laughs> fifteen. Oh. No, fifteen. You uh, and I. I was thinking fifteen might get a little boring, but um, three okay. very um, difficult. Three <laughs> minutes, three single minutes. You know, and people can and breathe and be aware of yourself. Won't be. It's not possible. They don't do it. They've not done it unless they are massively into yoga and. Even that three minutes is too much for them, you know. Mm -hmm. So try to do that with someone who's really, really anxious and worried and frustrated, and anxiety is killing them. And you put that on him, it's like you pour cold water on him. It's just like dissipates. Do you think it would help mm. someone who has like ADHD? They just said half of America had ADHD. I That's just read me. that. You That's do. Oh. So ADHD. does it help? And dyslexia. Ah. Absolutely. Yes. How, how did you conquer that? I don't know if I've conquered it, but I've learned to live with it when it gets to its worst. And because I work out on daily basis, you know, um, I read this thing on a heroin addict that like every 24 hours, like at 10 o'clock that is due at about quarter of 10, they start getting that tremor and they get the nervousness that it's time for it to get it. I've never been an addict to any of the drugs, but I just read about it, um, that that's what it does. And 1000% that resonates with me. When I, I wanted to ask you, how do you deal with addictions when you have clients with addictions? Well, I'm addicted myself. I'm addicted to my workout. Ah. We all are addicted. It's very easy to say, oh, you're a bad person because you're addic addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to cigarette, to gamble. But we don't see if we look at our own lifestyles, we're all addicted in different ways. Mm. Mm. I am addicted to work out. And I confess that I cannot live without a day going through without a It takes about... Every two or three weeks, I take a day off, mm -hmm. but I take a day off because I see that I'm absolutely depleted of energy and I need mm -hmm. that way, doing not hug my knees and do nothing. Yeah. Take that a hug now. Me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I didn't work out yesterday because the night before it, I was at the sleep apnea uh, place to, for the, for them to test me. And uh it's very uncomfortable to sleep somewhere else. And this other person next door to me was coughing their brain out and they put so many things on your ears and nose and everything. It's hard to sleep. And then five o'clock in the morning, I was up, I put my clothes on and I left, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> yesterday, I was a zombie. I mean, I looked left and right and I thought to reach for a cup to just make tea in it, it was too much work. That's when I know I need not to do anything. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And today, I promise you, after you guys, the minute I'm done, I'm running to the gym 10 minutes to warm up and do weights, and I'm on the pickleball court. Because mm -hmm. today will okay. not get to the end of the day. That's the addiction that I need mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. into it. And somebody else is addicted to their makeup, to their hair color. What what mm. about people who come to you to try to get over, say, drugs or alcohol? 
How do you advise them the same way? Do you tell them to work out? Um, the drugs and alcohol, if it's that intense that they must finish like two glasses, two bottles of wine or what one of them was that was saying she can, he can finish a bottle of uh, Bombay Sapphire gin and it's the big one. And then he goes, you know, those first need a supervision of medical. And mm-hmm. then we come in the picture like 30 days later, they have ah. to have that because I am not um, a therapist. I'm not a psychologist and I'm not um, at all qualified to deal with someone that has that massive um, problem. So we coaches, we come as a help to the therapist and the psychiatrist and all that mm-hmm. to help them on that. It will be most unfair for me to say, oh yeah, you can go and walk and run and um, sweat and all that. And you would be all by yourself to get off the, unless they have God's power that they want to do it. And it's them, it's on them, but I wouldn't take a chance of wanting for them to do it all under on go cold Turkey and, Suddenly, if they're drinking two bottles a day and go to like none, and then if they pass out, something goes wrong with them, mm. you know, I'll be responsible. I wouldn't do that. I will be mm-hmm. coming into it when they have that help. But if it's not that severe, I've had many of them. She's actually a psychologist herself, and um, she lives in LA. And the back and forth, in and out, she's had problem with alcohol. And um, at this point, it's no point saying don't drink alcohol. At this yeah, point, uh-huh. I said to her, when you want to drink alcohol, make sure you drink after you've come home from your work. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you yeah. want to drink it, make sure you've done your workout and come home and you drink it. And then gradually when she does that and she comes home, she actually doesn't have the desire to drink so much. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh-huh. saying, no, don't drink it, I have to provide ways that when they do it and if they listen to me before and they do do that, then it just gives them less desire to want to have three and four glasses in one hour and have maybe two glasses. And then Mm. gradually you help them to bring Mm. it down. Yeah, on a less physical thing, do you have advice on steps that people could take to gain a deeper understanding of themselves. Yeah. It's so the they breathing. figure out what they really want from their mm-hmm. lives. Right. Absolutely. It's a lot through breathing techniques, breathing and journaling, ah. breathing and journaling. It's so important. Um, if you see the wall in front of me, it's all handwritten that I had. I'd been ADHD. Writing is not my best asset. It's mm-hmm. very hard for me to, Right. I am making myself really, really pushing myself to write. And when I see I can't write it, I talk to my phone and mm-hmm. then it's printed and then I put it on the wall and I keep on reading it. Or God bless whoever who created Audible because I keep on listening to it, you know. Yeah. And it just it's just for my brain is as good and well received as is if I'm reading it. So people need to read, to write, um, stay with their breath, count their breath, um, you know, all that movements. And it comes different with a different person. Do it this morning for two minutes. I want three minutes in the afternoon, you know, 
uh, I want you to give me a report. You did this and that. I want you to tell me if you um, write your thoughts in that moment, um, especially um, uh, late bloomers now when they have their kids are gone and either the husband or the wife left them or they uh, passed away or there is something happening and they feel really empty and they don't feel they belong to anywhere. It's the time that they need to be creative of how to make their own um, social life. You mm -hmm. know, like when we came here, we didn't know a soul here. And mm -hmm. once we mm -hmm. started doing the pickleball and it was just the pickleball, I said, okay, how do I make that happen too? How do I create my environment? I started inviting the few of those people in our home for dinner cooked meal. Mm -hmm. They come, they enjoy, they start socializing. They call you the next day. Let's do this and that and that. And I invited them again and again, let's go here. Let's do this. Let's, and mm -hmm. within uh, less than a year, we have at least maybe, I want to say 40, 50 people around us, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, we're not yeah. doing that. So very it's, positive. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's right. what you do that you create. If, if some of them are into knitting, if like one of my clients, actually that happened, I was with her um, on the Zoom and then I saw a ball of uh, yarns on her left side. And I said, Hey, Jill, what is that? And then she goes, It's a yarn. I got it, but I don't know where to go. And I have to, I'm too shy and uh, I can't um, use this. I don't know where to go. And I said, Okay, let's Google it. So I know where she lives in LA and um, I Googled it, closest places that you can knit and this and that. I figured it out and I said, that's it. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, they have the class. Oh, I have to go to here. And I said, Friday, they have the class, this and that. And I pushed her. I said, I want you to be on the phone with me. Tell me you're walking into the class. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, right. later on, I saw that she made that yarn into a little vest for her dog. Going that <laughs> you know, so it's just like like this that I make people. Do you like to draw a line? Okay, let's draw a line. Let's do a sketch. Let's do a paint. Let's do this and that. And and um, it's wonderful sometimes to just create cook, right? Huh? Creativity. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to your closet. Let's empty the closet. Let's give away <laughs> things that you haven't worn. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't worn it for a year. You haven't used it for a year. And all yeah. that making space, emptying all that clutter is another way of engaging people in to see how much that clutter comes from their head. Um, that it's now sitting in their closet and then in the bedroom and in, then in the sitting room and the kitchen, you know. Well, on kind of a like note, but not really. I've, I, I'm curious, what advice do you have for people just in order to strengthen their relationships where both parties come from trauma or negative experiences. Speak about it. Tell each other. Write to each other about it. Mm -hmm. Give it each other time so you both can talk. Uh, my husband and I both are coming from traumas. Both of us. You mm -hmm. know? And um, having ears to hear each other's um, problems and not pressing on those sore points and how can we be a kind of a healer in each other's life 
as a support when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my Very ex-husband good. in um, London um, was quite the opposite to that. Like when he knew I had things that it was traumatizing me, he would talk about it in a very sarcastic way. But that was my problem. That was my fault. Mm. I didn't know any better. Mm. I didn't know how to stop him. I didn't know, not, not even stop. I changed that. I didn't know how to address it to him to say what he does is painful to me. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would said? My clothes will come out and then I'd be attacking mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And, and and looking back, what would you have said to him? I would have said, do you realize this is a very sensitive subject to me? I would appreciate if you show me your gratitude and your appreciation in this. Mm-hmm. You are my mm-hmm. husband and I want to love you and help me love you. Mm-hmm. Don't help me hate you. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. People can relate and to. And keep on saying that. You know, sadly, we think um, divorce or fight is the solution, is the answer to another catastrophe, if not more. Um, I got divorced um, right before I turned 30. I was 29 years old. But if I knew better, I would have dealt with it better that even if I got divorced, but it wouldn't be an ugly divorce. Mm-hmm. Do you know, even well, though I was trying to be friends with him um, whilst we were going through the divorce, but it wouldn't work for him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know how this fits into your timeline, but we know that you've struggled with weight lo- weight issues. Oh, yeah. So what did, you, what did you do to regain your health and lose weight? So I, growing up being so uncomfortable and be so, oh, my God, we got the cat in there. Yeah, he's a big boy. Wow, he's a giant boy. (laughs) Like a little uh, bobcat. (laughs) He does. He is like a bobcat. He is. He weighs what twenty? He has a big tail. How much? I think he weighs about twenty six, twenty seven pounds. Yeah, I can't can't lift him up. I mean, I'm lifting him now, but he's on my lap, so. Dear Lord. Anyway, tell us about so, your weight I issues. Was being <laughs> so <laughs> heavy. And uh, yeah, when I left Iran, I was, I'm barely 5'5", five, five, so I'm 5'4 five, and 3 quarters, whatever that is. And I weighed 205 pounds when oh. I went to England. And oh. in England, they call that, it's a stones. There's not pounds. Every mm-hmm. seven pounds in a stone. I don't remember how many stones I was, but I remember when I went in and then I saw my Scottish landlady, her eyes went like sky, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the way to lose the weight for me was, as she goes, do you want to lose weight? And I said, absolutely. And she said, I'll help you. I won't let you eat um, rubbish. I don't let you eat bread, this, that. And I said, no problem. And because I was in England now, I could go and run and jog and swim and do whatever. Every early in the morning, being an au pair, I had to be in the kitchen with the two little kids at about 7.30, 8 a.m. So I'd be up, pitch dark, black dark at 6 a.m. out and, you know, 
running in the parks and it was like so quiet. Sometimes the doors were even closed, the gates for the parks until later on about seven, they opened it at, at those days. I don't know what it is now, but um, uh, then I'd be running on the streets and I did everything in the morning. And then again, in the afternoon when I was off shift, I would be doing that. So, um, and uh, I lost first 50 pounds uh, in nine months uh, mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. with her giving me very small amount of food and I was starving. So when she'd go at, at night, then I would go and grab apples and things like this to eat or I would shop food and then I would come and hide it in my room so he does, she doesn't see it. But it was like what I bought, it was apples and cheese and bananas, not not sugar and all that, you know, not mm-hmm, cookies mm-hmm. and candies, you know. So I lost the first Good for you. 50 pounds. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that Discipline. was mm-hmm. I have, I've really been one thing is just that like, if I want it, I go get it. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that I teach everyone. Commitment, commitment, commitment. Yeah. You can't be committed to anything. I, when they asked me, they said, what are you committed to? I said, absolutely nothing. I am not committed to the damn thing. I am the commitment. Great. Mm. Love it. Love that answer. Always, always been a big flashlight in my life that I am the commitment. I don't need anyone to watch me. I am watching. I love that. Well, um, tell us a little bit about your, the chapter you wrote in the book, Unstoppable Female Entrepreneurs Living Fearlessly. Actually, um, on Tuesday morning is the launching for it. I'd be happy to send you the link. And the book is, um, I think it's going to be sold for 99 days that day. Uh, 99 cents is going to be sold that day on oh. Tuesday. And um, uh, it already got a number one uh, bestseller without mm-hmm. even being out because it's all over the world. And it's really interesting and I'm shocked for it. Um, so that's basically talk is all about what I just said in that nothing mm-hmm. can stop me. As long as God doesn't stop me. Oh. Right. Excellent. What would you like our audience to have as a takeaway today, Fari? Life is all about the choices we make. Uh-huh. Every bit of it, life is about the choice. Choose wisely. Oh, I love that. Thank That's you. And so true. And when they come and they get, they suffer from being rejected. You know, and oh no, they rejected me. They dumped me. They, and I said, rejection is redirection. Ah, mm-hmm. I've never heard it that way. Ways is in ways rejection is in a very mysterious way is protection. Mm-hmm. So if mm. you were going to be not rejected and go down to hell. Once you got rejected, is project is protecting you from a mm-hmm. further catastrophe. It's a redirection. Move somewhere else. Don't stop. Mm-hmm. That's why That's, I, I love that advice. Thank I you. love that advice. Thank you, Fari. Thank you. That's why I say I never take a no as an answer. When they say no, I say yes. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Thank you. Our guest today in Late Boomers has been Fari Gonzak. Our author and transformational coach. You can reach Fari at faritransformation.com and she has a link tree 
that will take you to all of her social media. Is there any other place where we can direct our audience to you? TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm on TikTok. And, um, mm. But I think my um, link tree actually covers it all is uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, in the, my website that is there. But mm-hmm. um, um, I'd be more than happy to send you the link for my um, launching day, and um, which is on Tuesday. Excellent. And we so much appreciate our listeners. And we ask you all to please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Late Boomers Podcast. And also subscribe on the platform where you listen to your podcasts. We love your support and we always like to hear from you either on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington or at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers or on our website, lateboomers.biz. Our goal is always to energize and inspire you. Thanks again, Fari. Thank you so much for having me. Blessings to both of you. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.